TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host... Welcome back to the program, Mom Zev Brenner. Our guest is Rabbi Yoshua Pincus, Director of Yeshiva Services, a good at Israel of America. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. So tell us, Rabbi Pincus, I know that the direct that Yeshiva Services from Good Israel of America has been around for a while. You've been there for a year, it's your one year anniversary, so I wish you a mazel tov on the anniversary. Tell us what the Yeshiva Services does. Okay, well thank you for uh congratulating my anniversary. It's been a wonderful an exciting year, and I am very privileged to be assisting all of the yeshivas and day schools in New York State and beyond with uh, government affairs and programs. Uh, our our mission statement is we champion and guide yeshivas and day schools, advocate for resources at all levels of government, educate and guide yeshiva leadership, and defend yeshivas and your unique character under the uh, guidance of Gedol Yisrael. So what we do in New York State, first of all, is we advocate at all levels of government for funding, both to continue existing funding, because m- many funding sources have to be reappropriated uh, and legislatively supported year after year. They don't just happen automatically. And to advocate for new programs and sources of funding, guide yeshivas in the process of accessing and using that funding uh, helping assisting yeshivas and day schools with compliance with government regulations, both that have to both those regulations that have to do with uh, funding and programs, but also general regulations. Like for example, we were been very very heavily involved in assisting yeshivas with uh, COVID compliance over the last uh, year and a half. Um, and then uh, and then there is uh, also defending yeshivas. We all know that there are schools and, and uh, yeshivas that are, are threatened from time to time. Sometimes as a community, there are various things that come up that can uh, that, that can impact the character and sustainability of the I yeshivas. Are you talking about Yeted? There are activities in New York where they want to regulate the yeshivas to teach more science and math. Is that what you're referring to? That is, well, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it um, in that way. Um but, uh, yes, that is definitely a, a serious uh, threat to the viability of the Shiva and day school system as we currently know it. Uh, actually, actually, I take that back. It is, a, it, is, it is a threat to the viability and continuance of the entire private school system in New York State, meaning we are uh, shoulder to shoulder with the Catholics and the independent schools and the Muslim schools and the Protestant schools uh, on advocating for the state to maintain the independence of yeshiva day schools, private and other religious and independent schools. But is it as, um, so that is, but that, is it still a threat now? Because from what I understand, elected officials have been working with the yeshivas. So while it might have been a big issue maybe a year or so ago, is it still as big an issue today? So we are, you know, we are privileged to, together with our colleagues in the private school sector, to to have ongoing conversations and dialogue with the uh, elected and appointed officials in the various departments. Um, at this point, the official uh, stance of the Department of Education is, is that they are working on regulations as a result of the community meetings 
that they conducted last uh, November, October, November, I believe. And then those regulations are expected to come out sometime in the fall. And afterwards, then there's a common period and various other items until the regulations actually go into effect. Now, what I see might even be a bigger threat. I've been reading, and I don't know if it's in the process of being implemented or not, but there's certainly a lot of noise about teaching a curriculum, an inclusive curriculum, where everybody's accepted gender neutral or you can be called whatever you want to be called. It's not male and female anymore. There's so many, uh, many other permutations. And I know they want to teach that and some other of the progressive agenda. Um, do you know how far advanced that is, and is that coming to Yeshiva near us soon? Um, we have not seen any of that specifically yet in any uh, proposed regulations, but they've been talking about the, the enacting. For me, for the public, I, again, I haven't seen anything for the private schools as far as that's concerned at this point. Uh, now, however, that's exactly the reason why schools have to maintain their independence, and it's not just for Jewish schools. Independent schools, religious schools, champion a certain set of values. The parents choose those schools based on those values. So when parents choose a school, it's not just about what the uh, math SAT scores are going to be. It's they choose a school that reflects their values and their lifestyle. And it's very, it's critical that those parents maintain the independence and the right to choose that school and to be confident that school is going to educate their children according to their value system. Right, and, and I see it's happening certainly in colleges. And from what I've read, they're talking about, again, it could be part of the agenda with looking to reshape the country. But I believe that's one of the things that's high up on the list is making this and teaching this uh, in all schools across the country. Again, uh, it's something which I, I know is in the in the planning stages, but something which is on the radar screen. So I just was wondering right. if you knew how far advanced well, they were. You know, that's why when you asked a question, you said about advocating for more math and science in the schools. Um, and, I, you know, I, I felt that that wasn't a complete, uh, you know, complete characterization of it. It is something they're advocating for. And I think if that was it, you know, we might be having a different conversation. Um, but the reality is, is that the advocacy is for the government to take a much, much stronger oversight of the private school community. And once that happens, inevitably, it's going to mean the position of, of values, a close supervision of curriculum, of mandating uh, subjects and topics that are anathema to those communities. And that is why it is uh, very important for us to, together with our colleagues in the independent religious and private schools, to advocate for that independence to be maintained. But if, if, a, if a yeshiva or a school takes public money or federal government funding, that also compromise what they can or can't do? Because don't, isn't there more of a say? I know in the case of Shri University, I believe since they get government funds, they're restricted for certain things they can or can't do because they're accepting money from the government. Well, there certainly is. All money comes with strings attached. And every program, so, you know, every program, every funding source has its own requirements. Some of them are reporting, some are testing, some are curricular. And that's, and that's something which every school has to look at every funding program and weigh the pros and cons of accepting uh, that money. However, we're not talking here about uh, the government offering. If the government came to the school and said, look, we're going to fund your entire general studies curriculum, 
we'll pay the teachers, we'll pay for the textbooks, we'll, we'll pay for the for the uh, rent and utilities, the occupancy costs during that half of the day, and we want you to teach our curriculum. Well, then a, a, a school, a yeshiva, a, a, a you know a, any kind of school would have to look at that and say, well, is it worth it? They're not worth it taking money. That's not what we're talking about. The government wants to, or those who are advocating for this are advocating for control and oversight of all schools, regardless of whether they do or not accept government. No, but what I was referring to was, in a, and I'm thinking of Rashid University in particular, because I believe they may have difficulties or problems, for example, not funding a gay club on campus because of that, because of government money. You can't be seen as discriminating, even though it's against religious values, but uh, they're caught in the bind. I'm just, just one example that comes to mind. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's higher education, which is not a topic that I'm Intimately familiar Cause you're, with because you're more yeah, involved I just believe. in the and the and but, but it could affect a place like Lakewood also technically speaking. We're, we're preschool through we're, we're preschool through twelfth grade and and I believe that you know when you achieve certain types of accreditations or recognition or, or funding from the federal government in the higher education sphere and that yes that does come with requirements that uh, that they may or may not be in favor of but but I deal primarily with uh, K through twelve and, and to some extent preschool as well. Okay. Rabbi Yeshua Pincus is our guest, Director of Yeshiva Services of a Good Israel of America. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Our guest is Rabbi Yeshua Pincus, Director of Yeshiva Service at Good Israel of America. He's celebrating one year in the job in that position. Uh, Rabbi Pincus, you had, your, I believe, your first article online in the Times of Israel. And in there you were objecting to Rabbi uh, Eric Yaffe, Reform Rabbi of the Reform Movement. Tell us about what was it that he wrote that you took objection to? So, you know, he he wrote. I mean, first of all, some of it was just simple errors of um, of fact. Well, I think that, he, I think uh, he said the yeshivas get hundreds of millions of dollars more than they actually get, right? He said nearly half of their financial support. How 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 they should get these hundreds of millions of dollars? Right. right. I mean, ba- you know, based on my. Um, experience, I would estimate the total budget of all yeshivas and day schools in New York State to be certainly north of 1.5 billion. So if anybody comes up with a uh, with a plan to fund the yeshivas to the tune of 750, 850, 900 million dollars, um, I think <laughs> nobody's going to complain. We will be very we'll be very happy. Um, but then the other 
Um, the other part of it is that he uh, accuses us, he uses the canard, uh, the stereotype of that we, uh, you know, trap our children in this uh, situation where they're doomed to eternal poverty um, because we don't, uh, uh, you know, because we don't provide the level of education that others feel is, is, is appropriate. And uh, that, that characterization is, is absolutely uh, incorrect. I mean, I think every parent of uh, children, especially as they get into teen years, uh, thinks about what their children are going to be able to do to support themselves and be part of society. And we are, you know, Baruch Hashem, extremely, extremely successful. We're from Lakewood to Williamsburg, Bar Park, Flatbush, Muncie, and, and you know, five towns we see, you know, Kyrgyz Yoyal, New Square, we see vibrant communities full of economic activity, people starting all kinds of businesses, entering all kinds of, of professions, breaking every stereotype there is in the book, and being enormously, enormously successful. And uh, so I objected to that uh, characterization of, of yeshivas as economic failures and trapping their children against their will in the system because that's, that's absolutely incorrect. No, even though there is poverty in the community too, but that has to do with the fact if you have 15 kids, uh, see, even on a regular salary, it's hard, and you pay tuition, and you have kosher food, and all the other right. facts of religious life right. makes it much more difficult for a religious family. To, I spoke to a parent who's making a lot of money, but he can't afford to pay tuition. That's it could bankrupt him. Uh, you hear that? So right. um, it's not the fact that they go that they're going to a particular yeshiva is because religious life and the tuition and all the right. other things. Right? That's what really raises raises the cost. Right. Look, in my former position as an executive director, I sat on the tuition committee and I spent a lot of time working with hundreds and hundreds of families. I believe we were over 500 families when I left the school uh, regarding tuition. And, every, of course, every situation is unique, and I, I dealt with everybody in their own unique way. Um, but I can tell you we regularly were giving scholarships out to families that were making uh, 150, 200, and, and sometimes even $300,000. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, when the state of Illinois inject, enacted a, a state tax credit scholarship program, the, you can be making 200, maybe even 250 and still be eligible for that program because of the amount of children. That program is pegged to a certain percentage of the federal poverty level. And when you have a lot of children, Kanainahara, then that number goes up. And as um, another response to this Rabbi Afra article is from Rabbi Pesach Lerner. I don't know if you saw that. I only saw your presence uh, history. He's, he usually writes pretty well also on these issues. It was excellent, and he referenced the you know the poverty statistics in Kiryasol, which is known as the uh, you know supposed allegedly the most impoverished municipality in the country. Um, and you know besides for the fact that you know if they weren't incorporated as their own municipality, they'd be part of you know the greater area. It certainly wouldn't. Uh, it certainly wouldn't uh, uh, create that impression. However, what he pointed out is when you have a community that is several decades younger than the national average, you have the average age is closer to the you know, 20s and 30s than it is to the 60s and 70s. And these are families with uh, a lot of children who are starting their uh, economic journey, starting their careers. Yeah, we all are at a point in our careers where we're making a little bit less. And, and, and we, Baruch Hashem, front load our lives with high expenses of tuition and childcare and kosher food and children, you know, Baruch Hashem. And so, yeah, so there's going to be a time in our lives that we are going to be lower than the national average, very possibly. But 
as time goes on, as the children grow up, as people's earning potential increases, we find that that not only is it not only is that is that the sector not most impoverished, their their average income is actually well above the national average. Well, I mean, people have written about there's a book about Satmar. A fortress in the city. How Satmar and and while well, the Satmar Rebbe was against luxury, but today you have a growing class that wants to find a sushi and everything else, and uh, and they're enjoying the fine life, which he, which according to the book the Satmar Rebbe was probably opposed to. But the fact is, though, you have a growing economic class and wealth of people who are want you know to find dine and go on kosher vacation. Look at the explosion of kosher travel from in, in the yeshivish and the Hasidic community so you have a growing class that you know that have been yeshiva educated and have reached some pinnacle of success yeah, absolutely so and, and you know we argue that that is not despite their yeshiva education is precisely because of the yeshiva education yeshiva education teaches people to think creatively to think out to think out of the box to to be resourceful and uh, and that's why when they do go into professions and do go into business, they are many of them are very successful. Do you find that the media has been apt to listen to what you have to say because Yafed got a lot of attention in the media over the course of time? Have you found that your position and what you have to say is also acknowledged by the general media? You know, unfortunately, um, you know, one of the last. Uh, permitted stereotypes is Orthodox Jews. There, there's very few stereotypes that the media sees themselves as permitted to, you know, paint the community with a broad brush. And, uh, but they, with Orthodox Jews, they feel that they can do that. And unfortunately we see the time and time again, where, where their perceptions of the community are completely skewed and they don't really understand from the inside what's really going on. And then they find one or two items which they feel are inappropriate or an aberration or whatever it is, and they use that to paint the entire community with the same brush. But I think a lot of parents probably want you to spend more time in getting tuition tax relief because even though there is some federal money, how, how much money is Yeshiva actually getting in aid? Uh, I know Rabbi Yaffe had it in the hundreds of millions. What's the actual number? Right. Right. So the um, the... I can give you some of the numbers. Uh, some of the some of the data uh, takes uh, it's not so easy to, to dissect in that way. But I can tell you for the for the Jewish schools, the the the, um, the largest funding source in New York State is the mandated service aid and comprehensive attendance policy programs. Uh, New York, and what that is is that the state requires the schools to provide certain services and to keep certain records and, uh, and, and therefore the state pays for those requirements, meaning they're not funding education. They're not paying for teachers, they're not paying for rebellion or moros. They're not paying for rental utilities or, or, or anything else of that nature. They are paying for the provision of these themselves as requiring. And that number is 76 and a half million. Another, Another source, another large source, is there are four loan programs. Uh, Rabbi Afi called them grants. They're not grants; they're loans. They actually the the items belong to the states and are loaned to the schools. And there are four of those for textbooks, technology, library, and the Jewish schools portion of that is currently around thirteen and a half million. 
right? Now there are other programs. There's title funding. The the you know, we know that the state and the city cover busing costs in New York State, and there's uh, there there are there are other programs as well. Uh, but there's no way that that uh, that that equals more than a couple hundred million. So which helpfulness, and of course, it cannot be used for religious studies. It only goes to other items that the yeshiva. It can't be used for any for any, any religious. Oh, for any study. The only program there is a STEM program, which the uh, which to I think this year it's up to forty million, and uh, which is open to private schools in the state, which does help fund uh, science, technology, engineering, and math teachers. But other than that, every other program you're specifically prohibited from using it to provide general studies. Even a, a, a program like a, like Title Services, which is there to provide supplemental education to uh, children lagging behind and need, and need additional services, it's specifically to supplement, not supplant. You can't oh, you I'm can surprised. I thought there was something that you can't know. There's nothing that these students can use for secular education? From the phone? The, the, you know, the, there are some aspects of some of the COVID stimulus funding that may be able to use for some aspects of secular education under certain circumstances. But that that's a one-time thing. That's, uh, you know, that's a COVID stimulus thing. That's totally, totally different. And um, But in terms of the state and federal funding that's year after year, not one penny can be used for religious or general education other than the STEM funding. Wow. A few moments we have left, I'm sure, and I interrupted myself before. I'm sure a lot of parents were saying, hey, what can we do to reduce our tax rate, even though money is being given to yeshivas? And as you pointed, there are millions of dollars that yeshivas have been able to tap into. But the average parent still feels the pressure of a tuition bill. So what can be done in New York, other parts of the country are different, as far as relieving the burden on parents? That is a that is an excellent excellent question. It's probably a sixty four million dollar question. One, absolutely, oh, sixty four million dollar. I think we, it's more like one point five billion. Yeah. Okay. Maybe with inflation, it's a lot more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the you know the number one the number one action that they can do is to become politically involved and to vote. We uh, together with uh, TOS and other and other organizations. Are, are very actively involved in Gallup to vote campaigns in various neighborhoods. Uh, we're all familiar with Ramosha's Chuva and other sources that uh, that stress our religious obligation to vote. And that is the number one thing to do. Go, get out there and vote and become politically uh, active. And because when when the community speaks with one voice, the legislators understand what needs to be done and efforts can be made in, in, in that direction. Terrific. Anyways, I appreciate your being here with us. It's a lot of work we have to do. We are helping yeshivas. I think Jewish education is so important, and I believe that one of the reasons why we face a lot of assimilation and acculturation in the non-Orthodox community is the fact that there is a lack of Jewish education. I think Jewish education is so critical, and that we need to have more of it and it has to be better funded. So we want to thank you for your efforts. Rabbi Yeshua Pincus, Director of Yeshiva Services of a Good Israel of America. Thank, thank you very much. You're absolutely right. And that is why uh, a Good Israel has been in the forefront of educational advocacy in New York State and around the country for uh, decades. 
will continue to be. Uh, thank you for listening. If anybody wants to get involved, you can uh, go to agoda.org and learn about more about what we're doing and uh, how to get involved. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, for thank you. We look forward time. to having you back. Thank you for your efforts. We appreciate it. And look forward to having you back again. And we're going to okay. be. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to be right back. Don't okay. go away. Stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast, or perhaps a TV program? Talkline Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. Ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical, business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FM HD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevbrenner at gmail.com. Hi, this is David Gabe, and you're listening to The Zev Brenner Show. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.